Thank you, worship team. We are in a series in the book of, small little book of Philippians in the New Testament, one of the letters sometimes referred to as the a prison letter of the Apostle Paul. He's writing this from a Roman prison cell, so if you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, there's a Bible in front of you you can use, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read this little prayer that Paul gives them, 9 through 11, and then I want to refer to um, chapter 4, 8, and 9 of the same book. And once you find that, I want you to just find John chapter 6, which I'm going to refer to, but I want you to see it when we get there in the sermon, John chapter 6. So let's stand together as we read God's word, beginning with Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word together. I like this little picture of these Three guys on a journey, and of course, if you were going to hike a mountain that high or even just get around one, you would want some help along the way, and the help that the Apostle Paul gives his people here is prayer, and we want to offer that help to you. So after the service, if you just want somebody to pray for you, I'll be up here, another elder will be up here. There just may be something on your heart that just would be encouraging to have somebody pray with you about, and we'd love to do that with you. The the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle once said this, a soul never thinks without a picture. The soul never thinks without a picture. And applying Aristotle's quote to myself, I would say the, the pastor never preaches without a picture. Uh, I think that's true of me for sure. I'm always thinking in pictures it's largely true of Jesus when you think about when he spoke to uh, people or crowds. He's almost always using some kind of illustration or picture. And of course, I believe it's true here in this little prayer with the Apostle Paul. I think he has a, a picture in mind, and it's some sort of garden or growth, some sort of vineyard maybe of grapes or maybe a vegetable garden uh, that is producing produce. And so the picture I want us to have in mind is this picture here today. And I love vegetable gardening. And if you love vegetable gardening, there's something about this picture that warms your heart. I don't know. If you don't love vegetable gardening, you're like, just move on. Uh, but if you love it, there's something rewarding about seeing this picture. The the strength of the stem of this tomato plant, the, the green, the fruit, the perfect. I've had a lot of tomato plants and my tomatoes just didn't turn out to be looking quite like that. So you know somebody put some work into that. 
And this picture of growth and then produce is the picture that Paul has in his mind as he's talking about this prayer. There's something that is growing and he wants it to produce fruit. And I want us to just see it quickly here. First, the seed that gets planted is love. You notice that right away. And it is my prayer that your love, this is the thing has gotten planted in the lives or hearts of the believers in Philippi. And that love was displayed to them in the person and work of Christ. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And that got planted in them. And now Paul's prayer is that that grows. It doesn't just get planted. Christ doesn't just get planted in your life. It gets planted and then produces something. It grows. And the way he describes that is that it abounds more and more. There's something that's going to take off in your life after the love of Christ is implanted there. And as their love grows, like a tomato plant, again, I love this picture, it ha- a tomato, pl- tomato plant has to be staked, in case you didn't know that. If you just plant a tomato plant and you just let it go, it's not going to be healthy. So it has to be staked. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want this love that got planted in you by Christ to abound, to grow more and more, But it needs to be staked on something. Otherwise, your love just kind of grows out and it's a big mess. And he's saying, here are the twin stakes that I want your plant to grow on. Knowledge and discernment. These are the the two things Paul wants to plant or stake by the plant. So that as it grows, it's growing along these, these twin posts. Knowledge and discernment. And then notice the love is going to grow along these stakes And it's going to end up bearing fruit. You see this in verse 10. So, you can circle that little word, so. In other words, I've been telling you something so that something can happen. I'm not just telling you I want your love to grow and grow up on these stakes. No, it it needs to produce something. If you've been a vegetable gardener or a gardener or just anybody who's worked with plants, you've had those plants that just don't produce you know, you put them in, you do everything you're supposed to, but for some reason they just don't produce, and they're pretty disappointing. Even if they're nice plants, you're like, but I, wanted to, I eventually did want a tomato off this plant. And so that's what Paul's saying. I want this love that got planted into you by Christ grow along these twin posts of knowledge and discernment so, so that something comes out of your life. Some, something gets produced, and you see it. First of all, this first fruit is to, uh, that you'd be able to prove what is excellent. And then you would be pure and blameless. And this all finally culminates together on the day of Christ Jesus. That you're going to appear before God. And what does he say? You're going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And, and my picture that we'll conclude in is like a farmer's market. When the day of Christ happens, we're all going to be a farmer and we're going to have a basket and we're going to bring it to this banquet. And what, I, what I'm hoping for myself, what I'm hoping for you, what I'm hoping for our church is that our basket is filled. I just don't come with a big basket with one tomato. Spent my whole life just trying to curate one tomato. No, I want to be filled up to the brim so as we come in, we can enjoy all the fruits of the righteousness that God has produced in us, in you. So this is the picture I want to keep in mind as we go through Paul's prayer. And as before we get there, I want to go back to the beginning because this is really part two of last week's sermon. 
And notice just in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. So this is how they identify themselves. And that's the same identity Jesus gave himself in chapter 2. They're servants. And they, Paul is serving the people in Philippi three different ways. Two of the ways we looked at last week. First, he's encouraging them. Paul has clearly identified things that he can say, I see this in you. This is so encouraging for the, the believers. He's just not saying, I'm encouraged by you. No, he identifies specific things. Secondly, he assures them in this really key verse, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began something, he is going to bring it to completion. So he's giving them a, an assurance that their salvation really rests on the foundation of Christ. It doesn't rest on themselves and finally, the final way he serves them in this little text is he prays for them. And I know most of you know this, but it's worth repeating. One of the best ways to serve somebody is by praying for them. Now I know you've been in this situation. I've probably been in it more than you have. You know, I'll pray for you. And just, you mean to, but... Time goes by, you can't remember what the person said or something, and, or God, I don't know how to pray. I'm pray just praying for them, just move on. But if to really stop and pray for somebody, it's really one of the best ways you can serve, you can serve somebody else. So Paul's prayer. First of all, I just want to point out that Paul's anticipating vigorous growth in the life of every believer. He's, he knows if the seed of Christ's love has actually plant, been planted in your life, he's anticipating it's going to abound more and more. He's not saying, I hope we finally see something come out of the ground. No, he, he's anticipating that this thing's going to shoot up and we're going to be able to see it. It's going to be continually growing over its lifetime. Much like a vegetable garden when you, when you plant it in April. It's all dirt and rose. But you know, you're anticipating by June, July, August, you're going to have all these giant plants uh, just spreading out over your garden. That's, that's what Paul's saying. I'm anticipating if the love of Christ has been planted in your life, we're going to see some, some growth. So Paul anticipates vigorous growth. And secondly, he expects vigorous effort. He expects vigorous effort on your part. Now you might say, you might say, mm, hold on now, I'm looking at verse 6, and it looks like God begins something and God completes the work. So I don't see my effort in here. God's beginning something, God completes on it, and I'm just like the, the person in the back seat along for the ride. And I would say no to that, um, and I'll show you why in this text, but I love Dallas Willard's response to this kind of thinking. Grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. You can't earn your salvation. But in terms of the process of your sanctification, there is effort that is expected. And here I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and see how Paul talks about it. Because it's important that you see it in the Bible, not just what I say. Look at this. Finally, brothers, and he just lists these things he wants you to, to be aware of. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's anything of the excellence, anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Circle this word. Think. Think. This is you think. 
in the Bible, look around, see these things, and then you're going to have to think, you're going to have to meditate on these things to study. These are one biblical scholar said, called this battle for the mind, the invisible war. You know, we're, we're in an invisible war right now. I'm competing with another preacher right now. It's the preacher in your head that's saying, I wish I had sat somewhere else this morning. I wish it wasn't raining. I'm getting kind of hungry. Why do they always wear masks? I mean, there's, there's, uh, there is another voice in your head right now, and I'm trying to compete against that voice right now. And Paul is saying, I want you to, to think because there are other voices. I've used this illustration before. You've seen uh, at least the commercial. You don't need to see a whole show of the, the show Hoarders. And, and it's these people who've just somehow got some problem in their mind, but they can't throw anything away. And when they come in with the camera in the house, you just can't believe all the trash and all the really junk that they've just stuffed into their house. You just can't believe it. That's what your mind looks like. That's what my mind looks like. And Paul knows it. And he's saying, you've got to do some replacement. You've got some things that aren't lovely, that aren't, aren't commendable in your brain. And we've got to shovel those things out. And you have to be thinking on the things that are going to be replacing those thoughts. You have to take your thoughts captive. You can't be taken captive by your thoughts. Paul says this is a different way in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Second thing, just notice in, in chapter 4, verse uh, 9, Whatever you've learned, so you're meditating on these things. Now you've seen some things. You've learned, you've received, you've heard, you've seen in me. And then what does he say? Practice. You know what this word practice means in the Greek? It means practice. I mean, I looked it up. It means you repeat something habitually over and over until it becomes a habit. That's what practice is. We keep practicing these things imperfectly in the beginning, but until they become a habit, they, they have to practice. And oh, how I wished somehow Paul would have said, I wish he would have said, whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard, drift into these things. Oh, I would have loved if he had said that. Because I'm a great at drifting. But you know, you never drift into righteousness. You never drift into holiness. You never drift into discipline. It takes practice. And Paul, he lo he, Paul loves sports. And so he's always, he's beating his body to make it his slave so that he doesn't get captured by the thoughts. He, he's changing out the things that he had thought for the truth of Christ. He's always practicing these things. So I want to ask the question I've been asking myself this week. How's your practice? Maybe some of you said, well, you know, because of COVID, I've gotten better practiced habits. I've definitely heard that from people. 
But I've certainly heard quite a few, man, say, gosh, that just derailed me. And once I got derailed because of the situation with my work or my family being home, I just never quite got back on the rail. And I'm just basically in a ditch right now. And I would just want this prayer to be an encouragement, to, to practice, to think, to set your mind on these things. There's a book that I would recommend that you read, but it's really better in a group. But it, you can read it and, be, and benefit by, by yourself. I'm going to send you a little podcast on it. It'll be in the weekly email. The book is called The Common Rule. These are habits or disciplines or practices that you put in your life in this culture. The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. And it's written by a guy named Justin Early who was a missionary. And on the mission field, this seems a little bit odd to me, but it's very interesting to hear him talk about it. On the mission field, he felt called to come back to America and be a lawyer. That sort of seems like the opposite to me. Uh, But he's on the mission field. He feels called to come back to America and be a lawyer. So he comes back. He's very successful in his school. He gets a good job. And he notices that almost immediately he adopts all the habits of the first-year lawyers, work constantly, always adding to the schedule. And after a few years, this former missionary had a total anxiety breakdown, panic attacks, insomnia. And this is the quote I want you to hear on the, on the podcast. The house of my life was decorated with Christian content but the architecture of my habits were just like everyone else's. The, the house of my life was decorated with Christian content. If you walked in, you got the content. But the architecture, the things that you don't see behind the walls, my habits were just like everyone else's. And eventually, I fell apart. My life was like a house of cards. And so in this trauma, he says, I've got to have some common practices. They're very, very simple. And in other words, you'd wake up and read your Bible before you'd ever look at your phone. Just a little practice like that can begin to put a rule in your life that begins to help you grow in the right way. So it's worthwhile to, to listen to, but it's helpful to, to go with a group of people through it. So are your habits moving you towards righteousness? would you say? Or your habits moving you towards a total breakdown? They are, these, the habits you have are moving you in one of these directions. Second, as, you, as your love abounds, so Paul's anticipating there is growth. He's anticipating it's going to grow more and more, meaning all the time you're going to be able to see it. He's anticipating that you're going to have to give effort to it. And as it abounds, he's given us these twin stakes that he wants it to grow up on. The stakes of knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Love requires direction and definition. And that's what these twin stakes provide. Knowledge, this Greek word appears in the New Testament 20 times. And it always refers to knowledge about God. It's not just I just know some stuff about the world. It, when, when it's used in the New Testament, this word always refers to increasing knowledge specifically about God. 
J.I. Packer wrote a classic book called Knowing God. Now, this book is 50 years old now. But listen to what he says in his preface. Just could be written for today. Ignorance of God, not knowing God, not having a knowledge of God. Ignorance of his ways and practice of communion with God lies at the root of much of the church's current weakness. The spirit of this age is to have great thoughts about man, which leaves room for only small thoughts about God. Imagine saying that in 1973. How would you appropriate that today? So perfect. It's as if we were looking at God through the wrong end of the telescope. He's so tiny. We've reduced him to pygmy, pygmy proportions, meaning we end up as pygmy Christians. So the knowledge of God, are you increasing along this post of the knowledge of God? That's, that's what Paul wants you to run up against. Are you understanding your Bible? Or are you putting the right kinds of podcasts on or the right kinds of books? Are you increasing your knowledge about God or just trivia? Batting averages or shows that you've binged on. What are you, what are you increasing your knowledge of discernment discernment's a little bit different than knowledge here knowledge is more like concrete information discernment is more like i'm spiritually perceptive similar but a little bit different knowledge i i understand some fundamentals some foundations they undergird me as i go through my life but discernment is as i go through the culture as i go through i have some spiritual discernment about myself, about the world that I'm in, about the current situation. In the leadership world, they would distinguish these two characteristics between IQ and EQ. Sometimes you hear it that way. You know, I've known a lot of people have very high IQ and a very low EQ. I mean, they're so smart, they got all the right information, but they can't read a room. They just can't figure out what's going on in a relationship. They just don't have a very high EQ. And that's what Paul's saying. I want these twin stakes. I want you to grow in your knowledge and also your per- spiritual perception of what's happening. And I just want to point out this very, one of my very favorite little pieces in John chapter 6, which is why I wanted you to, uh, to mark it in your Bibles. John chapter 6. Very well-known passage here of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And they know that this person, they're calling him a prophet in verse 14, has done something very unique. They've all witnessed it. And many scholars say the 5,000 was just counting men, so it probably was fifteen or 20,000 people at this event. And here's what I want. I want you to just notice this one verse. Perceiving then... This is Jesus perceiving. See, this is discernment. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is, this is a little window into the mind of Christ. He's discerning. He's spiritually perceptive. And I want you to think about the two ways he's spiritually perceptive. Because these are the two ways you need to be spiritually perceptive. One, 
He can read the crowd. He can read a room. He understands, hey, they've seen something, and I can just feel the intensity of the crowd rising up. And if, if I don't get away, I'm just going to be overwhelmed by these fifteen or 20,000 people. They're going to come and make me king. So he's, he's perceptive about what's happening around him. Secondly, and we don't necessarily think about this, but it's true, he's perceptive of what could happen in his own soul. Think about the temptation of 10,000 people coming wanting to make you king. That would be powerfully seductive, would it not? It's the same seduction that Satan tempted Jesus with. And Jesus knows himself, hey, maybe this isn't good for them, but I know if I stay here, this wouldn't end up being a good place for me. This is how he's discerning. He experiences the same temptation, so he knows, hey, in this situation, the best thing for me to do is to leave the party. And I'm just wondering if you have that kind of perception about yourself. Because sometimes people are perceptive about what's happening outside, but they're not very perceptive of what's happening to their soul. So they turn on the television. They go to a location. And they can see some things, but they don't, they're not really perceptive. Hey, this, is, this could be a challenge to my soul. So Paul's hoping these, this growth is going to grow up with knowledge and discernment. Wisdom and perception. I want to just stop here for a moment and make, point out something that's obvious. And just notice the content of Paul's prayer. I'm praying that your love would abound with knowledge and discernment so that you'd have this fruit, excellence, blamelessness, and the day of, for the day of Christ. I want this to inform the content of your prayer. Because I think probably a lot of our prayers are just immediately circumstantial. Oh, I'm praying for travel mercies for this person who's traveling. Oh, I'm praying that they get this job. I'm praying. I'm not saying that's bad. But my guess is that might be a lot of the content of your prayer. And I want you to notice Paul gets underneath that because there's something that's holding this person together that he's really trying to get at. And that's what I want that to shape the content of your prayer. If you say, hey, I'd like to pray for Pastor Paul, but I don't really know his needs. Use this prayer right here. Pray that my love abounds. Pray that it doesn't stop, that I don't say, well, I got the 57 and I got enough love to kind of carry me on and I just stop growing. That's very possible. Pray that it grows along these discerning stakes of knowledge and discernment. Pray that I grow in my understanding of God, that I wouldn't just say, I know enough, I know enough, I know more than most people I'm going to interface with, so I don't need to know anymore. Pray that doesn't happen to me. Pray that I have spiritual discernment to help staff or elders or the church make a decision which way we're going to go. That, if you don't ever pray for me again except for this prayer, this would be a great prayer. And this would be a great prayer to pray for each other. That's why we're, we're stopping and focusing on this. Third and finally, you see, uh, so, so. So you've got this growth that's going up along these stakes like the tomato plant. And it's going to produce fruit. Approve what is excellent. This is the first red tomato that's coming out. 
approve what is excellent. And in the Greek, it actually means differing things. Differing things. Which, which what he's trying to get at is you, you're able to distinguish between what's good and evil. You're approving what's excellent. You, you can see a situation and I can, I can, I can discern, I can distinguish between what's good and evil. What's true about God, what's not true about God. What's true about the way our culture is going and what's not true. Think about how helpful that fruit would be right now in our culture. If you had a strong group of believers who could really approve of what's excellent and say, you know what, that's not true about God. That's not the way we should be going right now. And it would come out of this knowledge of God. That's so necessary. And Paul thinks it's necessary enough to pray about. Then secondly, this other fruit that comes out is you're pure and blameless. These really are mean, meant to go together because they're about your inside purity and your outside blamelessness. Paul is praying that as you mature in Christ, as the love grows in your life, you're less hypocritical. That your outside matches your inside. That you don't have, as uh, early said, you don't have the, the content of your house looking good, but it really the architecture is bad. And, and it seems to me that, that Jesus really drills down on this with the Pharisees. Remember what he calls them? The whitewashed. They seem to be blameless, but they're whitewashed tombs. If you ever get inside of them, they're dead. And it seems to me that Jesus is okay with failures, but not okay with phonies. And Paul doesn't want this group of people to grow up and be phonies. And oh, how I don't want that to happen at Christ Community Church. That somehow we have all of our lives decorated with the content, but somehow if you could get inside of the architecture, it's like a house of cards. I think this is similar to what you see in the parable of the prodigal son. One, one is a failure. One is a phony. One is in the banquet on the last day. One is not. That's another sermon. Let me conclude here. All this is coming to this terminating point. I've already referenced the day of Christ. Paul prays one day. He knows he's going to be standing in this day. This, this, this church he's planted is going to stand before Jesus one day. And it's going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. This basket that you, you're filling right now is going to overflow into a, a great banquet. And here's the, the final picture I would leave with you. I mean, you and I, we're just a single tomato plant, right? We can't produce everything, and we're not intended to produce everything in this picture. But you, you live in a certain house. You have a certain job. You, you intersect with certain people. You have certain talents and skills. And you're supposed to grow those in a way that produces fruit. So that as we all come, it's going to look like this. I'm going to have my big box of fruit, and it might be 
onions and you're going to bring them and you're going to have tomatoes and then you're going to have apples whatever that is and we're all going to come together and i'm just asking you to try to identify what does your basket look like today i mean if this was the day that god called you home there would be no more opportunities to fill up your basket how are you investing your time your talents Are you growing in a way that's actually producing fruit that you're going to bring one day and set before Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this this little three-verse prayer. So much, so dense, so compact, so much information here for us to practically think about our own prayer lives, the way we live our lives, Help us to examine our own souls that, that, that we would really see the architecture of our lives, not just Christian content. Would you use it as Paul intended and Pastor Paul intends to get up under and encourage to serve us by wisdom and knowledge of this prayer of ourselves, of our world, and primar- primarily of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.